Backyard Green Films is proud to present this episode of Agriculture with your host, Alara Bowman. Alara and her husband, Rick, travel throughout the land in their teardrop trailer that they have nicknamed Maggie, bringing you stories about their travels and the people they meet. They visit farmers, ranchers, and just about anyone who loves putting their hands in the dirt or their feet in stirrups. For the past three years, they have been filming a documentary about heritage breed animals entitled The Holstein Dilemma, Heritage Breeds, and the Need for Biodiversity. In those travels, they have gotten to meet some very interesting people. Here's one of those interviews. Hi, this is Alara. Welcome back to Agriculture. For this episode, we got a chance to speak with Stephen Monroe. Stephen Monroe works for the Department of Agriculture in Florida, and he manages the herd of Florida Cracker cattle and Florida Cracker horses there in Tallahassee. He's a very educated man, wonderfully interesting, very well-spoken, and he really, really knows his history. He's also known as the Cowboy Poet, and we're going to play a little piece of his uh, poetry later on in the show. Rick and I usually go on almost every shoot or every recording together, but on this one I didn't have the ability to go, so Rick is asking all the questions. Rick usually is behind the camera. Sometimes you can hear him throughout the recordings. So when Rick returned, I re-recorded his questions back in the studio. We met Stephen Monroe in Williamsburg, Virginia at the Livestock Conservancy Conference one year. It was a very interesting story. We were talking to John Hall, who has Milking Devons, and we were asking him about the history behind his animal. And he mentioned that they came over in the early to mid-1600s to the New England area. And we were very impressed by that. And all of a sudden, a gentleman with a very interesting southern voice leaned over and said, our cattle beat them by almost 100 years. (laughs) And that was Stephen Monroe with the Florida Cracker Cattle Association. So tell me who you are and a little about what you do. I'm Stephen Monroe with the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. I manage the Department of Agriculture's Florida Cracker Cattle and Florida Cracker Horse Preservation efforts. We now call them Heritage Breed Program. This is the herd that's in Tallahassee, Florida, our state's capital. These are within the city limits of Tallahassee, the only livestock operation that's left in the city limits of Tallahassee. And I manage also a herd of cracker cattle and horses at our Withlacoochee State Forest in Brooksville, Florida. Mr. Monroe was describing some of the history behind the breed, how they got here in the first place, and how they are truly one of the first cattlemen's breeds in this country. We started talking about the Red Devon cattle and the Red Pole. Uh, I think the Red Devon and Red Pole are similar, similar in origin, and they're both fine cattle, and they were brought to Florida to, to breed up, to, to breed with the, the Florida native cattle. By then, they were calling Florida native or Florida cracker cows, and some of the settlers wanted to bring their other breeds in, and the Red, the red Pole was a certainly had an impact on the Florida cracker cattle. But as far as origin, they, you said they came over on the Mayflower, but these cattle, the Florida cracker cattle, were already a well-established race or breed of cattle roaming. There were thousands of them in the Florida woods before the pilgrims were even born. 
we're already having Seminole, the, the first wars in the continental United States were fought between cattlemen and Indians or Native Americans were fought in Florida as the Franciscan friars taught the Native Americans to become cowmen, cattle owners. Then here comes the settlers, so they started fighting over the grazing areas, and that, that was probably the first skirmishes between the Europeans and the Native Americans. It happened over cattle, but it happened in Florida before the, the Western era. Stephen described how much we owe the Spaniards for bringing over what is a large portion of the foundation stock of our beef industry and how the sturdiness of these cattle improved our breeds dramatically. Florida cracker cows or Florida cracker cattle are descended from the cattle that the Spaniards brought here in 1521. The first cattle to set foot or hoof on what is now the continental United States landed with Ponce de Leon in the Spanish Inquisition. And we know they have written records of him coming in 1521 on his second voyage and brought cattle, horses. So we know we've phenotyped these cattle, we've DNA tested them, we know that they trace back to Spanish origin. We do not say that they're pure Spanish because as the continental settlers came in, they brought other, other breeds were brought to Florida in the hundreds of years later. This was 1521. So from 1521 till about 1800, nothing else was mixed with them. They were straight Spanish. They were a composite of different breeds that the Spaniards continued bringing on different voyages. But uh, as the settlers came, they may have brought some other breeds that some of them, they brought them, they didn't, they didn't last long in Florida's woods because of Florida's wilds because of the insects and the pests and the heat and the, uh, it's just rough living in Florida. So only the Spanish origin cattle really survived and thrived and multiplied. But we say that these cattle have some continental influence as well. The next question that we asked Stephen was one of the more interesting things in this interview. This is why you ask a historian word and name origins. The, the terminology of calling ourselves crackers or the cracker cow and cracker horse came from two things. The subsistence farmers or people that were the pioneers, when they were able to grow their own corn, they cracked their own corn for a living, to live from, live off of, to make food for themselves. They cracked their own corn. Those that had corn cracked their own corn at the common mill. Maybe it was a few families that owned the mill or the local mill. So they cracked their own corn. They lived off of what they grew and they lived off of that cracked corn. They cracked it for grits and cornbread and, and feed for the animals if they had surplus. That's one thing. The other was our cow whips that makes us distinct crack or pop when we're, we're driving the cattle, we use those whips mainly to control the cow dogs. The, whips, the retort of that whip is a very directional sound and it's, the retort of that whip can be heard for quite a ways, mile and a half or so across the woods and they, they could hear the drovers or the cowmen out there driving the cattle, they, they could hear that crack of that whip. So they said, oh, the, the crackers are over there. So they became known as crackers and it became a a term used for the, the their architecture was cracker style, the uh, the houses they built. So everything became the cracker style of lifestyle. So it became it went out of fashion for a while. Now it's quite popular to be, 
to recognize ourselves as Florida crackers. The native Floridians consider themselves Florida crackers, and it's a source of, of pride, you know. Florida cracker cattle are one of the best examples of a heritage breed and its positive characteristics. Here's Stephen describing adaptability and the other qualities that they have. The Florida cracker cattle, the, being growing in the, on uh, Florida conditions and Florida's uh, forage and uh, lack of high nutrition, in some cases it's, it's, it's very plentiful but not highly n- nutritious, so the cattle tend to be smaller. They didn't grow a lot of frame. They grow what they can manage, so they're, they're small in frame score to moderate. Light, fairly light muscularity. There's no, no really thick muscle cattle could survive, so they're thin-muscled and very capacious. In other words, they have a big middle, so they can hold a lot of forage. They, they're experts at producing beef, but especially milk for their calves from low-quality forage, which means they have to hold a whole lot of it during the day to process a lot of it to make enough to live on and to make milk for their calves. These cattle are really, really fertile. If they have a chance, they'll breed back every year. They'll calve on time every year, which is a a great boon to the overall U.S. cattle economy. If we could get our cows to all calve, bring a calf to the pen every year on a timely basis, it would make our profits soar. So these cattle are known for being fertile. As long as they have a little bit of nutrition, they will breed back and calve on schedule. They developed as free-roaming cattle for years. So how does their temperament compare? They're kind of like people in as far as temperament goes. They're, they're, they run, run the whole gamut. But uh, for the most part, these cattle, if they're handled correctly or gentle, they can revert back to being wild. If, they're, if their product are, are treated incorrectly, they can revert back to being wild because they were wild for hundreds of years. They fought the panthers and, and coyotes and wolves. So they do know how to protect their babies. They do know how they would rather run. They would rather run away from you, but if they can't get away, they'll fight over that baby. But uh, you see that they're, for the most part, gentle. One of the constant battles to keep heritage breeds in a somewhat pure form to maintain the benefits of the breed is to make sure that too much improvement doesn't occur. Here's Stephen describing the influence of breeding on the Florida cracker cattle. I think the genetic integrity of the Florida cracker cattle is really sound. We uh, worked very hard to, when we started the breed registry in 1989, to identify the families that were known to have the, their granddaddies or their great granddaddies' old line of Florida cracker cattle or the, the range cattle of Florida. We eliminated the cross breeds with the ones that have been crossed with modern breeds and it's, I can name them but it's no need to name them all those breeds but it's easy to do with uh, in some part visual mostly it was knowledge of what had been brought to those farms or ranches but the visual appraisal and then we DNA typed them blood tested them to eliminate some things we found in the blood that were uh, modern breeds but we don't say that they're 100% Spanish origin because we we did allow that prior to 1940 they had some influence of other breeds as the, as the settlers came into Florida they brought some dairy blood they brought multi-purpose animals into Florida and some of those animals couldn't make it in Florida and they died off they didn't leave any offspring 
but some could have influenced these cattle by at least having a few calves with them. To there comes in the the, the wrong color pattern or spotting. Some of the Spanish had some roaning and some spotting as well, but maybe that's an allowance for some of the different spotting patterns and, that we see. But we don't see anything structurally though that indicates these animals are any different than the Spanish origin cattle of 1500s. The United States is a melting pot, and the Florida cracker cattle is no exception to that. Here's Stephen describing how the different breeds and different patterns originally in Spain from different regions came and melded into one animal here. We discussed color patterns of these cattle, or colors in general. Most of the Spanish cattle that were brought from, from the records we've studied were black or solid red, solid black or solid red, and every now and then there would be one of color, one with some a white line back or a white one with a red head or black head or brown head, but most of the cattle were solid colored. But when they, they were brought from about six different regions of Spain, and those regions, they were considered a pure race, a pure breed of cattle in that region because of pride of ownership. They wanted the, the Blanca Cater Serena or the Oro Negro cattle came from that certain region of Spain. But when they got here, they were mixed together and we believe that as they began mixing together then, the other the colors manifested themselves in the brindles and the spotting patterns, I will confess, came from other influence. Most of these cattle, the, if you see, when you see the spotted ones, that, that's a, an influence of the continental cattle that were mixed with them at some point in the late 1800s or 1900s. They, they began mixing with whatever the settlers brought to, to Florida and that would be the origin of the, of the more flamboyant color pattern. And everybody likes the wild, speckledy color one, so we're guilty of, okay, we have to say, well, let's don't breed them too far away. Let's don't make them all spotted or all pited or all blue roan. Let's keep some of the dark cattle, the solid blacks, solid reds. Here's a spot you can actually hear Rick for once in our interviews. Rick is asking Stephen about the size of these cattle, rate of gain, and rate of growth. These cows right here will average 800 to 850 pounds. A big one might make 1,000 pounds. And the males will weigh 1,200 to 1,600 pounds at maturity. And are they fairly slow-growing? They, they grow, depending on how much they're fed, their, their rate of gain is, is pretty good compared to their, their frame size if they're fed well. So, but most of our people, their beef, ready to process into beef at 24 to 30 months of age, where a commercial animal might make it their 18 to 20 months of age. The horns are very distinctive. Florida cracker cattle are related to piney woods and the Texas longhorn, but a different shape of horn, so we asked Stephen about that. These cattle are... are for the most part, horns, there are a few naturally occurring polled animals within the cracker cattle breed registry. Most of them have horns that are, the horn factor comes from their Spanish origin. The Spanish cattle were horned. They're not as big horned as what's now the modern day Texas longhorn have been selected just for growing horn. These cattle, the Florida cracker cattle were never selected for the size or the volume of their horn. They, they were never bred with other 
other races of cattle that might increase their horn size like some of the longhorns were. So these are more typical of the old Spanish origin cattle. Some of them, if their nutrition is less, they'll have smaller horns. If their nutrition is good while they're young, their horns get a little bit bigger. Uh, these, you don't see many of these Florida cracker cattle that have wide spreading horns. They say in the brush country, that's a detriment to a cow that's got a wider wider set of horns has a harder place getting harder time getting through the brushy places so most of these cattle horn shape is upright but they come in a lot of volume a lot of uh, variety of horn patterns some are crab horn some are smaller horn some are upright some are lyre shaped but if you look back in the old pictures in the state archives or wherever you can find pictures of the spanish cattle that were here and as soon as cameras begin being made and they're getting onto some ranches, these cattle have the similar horn patterns as they did 100 years ago. If you've been to Florida, you know one thing they have is bugs. So we asked about that and some other predators. You ask about the diseases and, and pests and predators that we might have in Florida. And in the ranch conditions in most of these bigger areas, we're on 80 acres here within the city limits of Tallahassee, so we don't have much predation. But in the range conditions in Florida, they do have coyotes and in extreme South Florida panthers. So these cattle are, are more likely to fight off predators than a polled animal would be, an animal that's that, uh, been grown on a farm someplace. These are grown on ranches and they, they know how to, how to protect their calves. Uh, as far as disease resistant, there again, if the cattle are allowed to roam over big areas, they're exposed to less disease than they are if they're kept in a close confinement area, a, close, a smaller pasture. They don't go over the same land twice in the same few weeks, so they, they may not re-expose themselves to, to internal parasites, the larvae from the life cycle of, a, of the internal parasites that are different. But these cattle are somewhat resistant to internal parasites. They say that the flies don't bother them as bad as some of the modern breeds. Uh, a fly is a pest no matter whether he's on my cow or your cow. I still think flies are a problem for these cattle. But there again, if they can range over a bigger area, they're not creating as much fly uh, density as they are if they're on a smaller place. And the purpose of these cattle originally? In Florida's pioneer days, cattle were used for milk, meat and for for draft the the affluent would have draft animals a bigger size draft animal from you know imported a bigger breed or either even draft horses or mules but the old subsistent florida cracker families they use these cattle for what if they needed oxen they would catch them and you know use the steers usually it was the 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 steers, the, the neutered male calves, they, they would keep those for, make a team of oxen for, from them. So they were, I would say they were a triple purpose breed. They didn't necessarily say this is my milk cow, but if they had a bunch of kids that needed milk, they'd hem up the cows and milk them, you know. And some of them were not known for producing a great volume of milk because they didn't have a great volume of food. You know, they didn't have high concentrated grain to give them. So they had to milk every cow they had just to get milk for the for the family. It all comes down to economics, and in this case, more so than most. Here's Stephen. 
you ask about the role that cattle played for trade between the states and, and for other countries, the Spaniards established trade from Florida cattle ranchers back to Hispaniola and Cuba early on, and that was a great economy for Florida. And it, it continued for a hundred years, and after we had the, the war between the states, there's no way to overstate the importance of the cattle culture to Florida's post-war economy. After the war between the states, Florida and the southeastern United States, was the South was crushed economically, and the ranchers that had established trade with Cuba prior to the war, they could reestablish that trade and start selling some cattle again and get paid in Spanish gold. The, the, our, the currency here wasn't worth anything. The paper goods wasn't too good, but uh, it wasn't worth it. The paper wasn't worth a lot but or anything at all, but the gold that these ranchers got paid in by the Spaniards for trading cattle back, they sold them back to Hispaniola and Cuba. There's quite a stream of export going on, and when they brought that gold back, they could invest in, they didn't really spend it on themselves, but they would put it a, a little bit away for later. They bought some land, they improved their ranches. They began, at that time, Florida was still in range conditions, but some of those ranchers decided they better buy the land, not just have them on, on uh, publicly owned land, they better buy some land. So that started buying land, they started investing in their economy, but uh, there's no way to overstate the importance of what that gold infusion did to Florida's post-war economy. I think of beaches, and I think of NASA, and I think of many other things in the state of Florida when I have an impression of Florida, but ranching is not one of them. However, Stephen corrected my impression very definitely, and here is his uh, description of the massive impact on agriculture that Florida has. The Spanish Inquisition brought cattle here in 1521, and thereafter, Florida became an, a cow state in that the Florida native pastures were just excellent for growing cattle. So, so it became quite extensive. The Franciscan friars taught the Native Americans how to raise cattle as they established ranchos across the upper part of the of Florida. South Florida was figured, South Florida was considered wasteland at that time, so they established the ranches across in the Suwannee Valley area and across North Florida, and those were the first ranches in the continental United States, easily. And after that, the Native Americans became quite good at raising cattle, and then the pioneers came. Anybody who was settling in Florida, if they could catch a few of these wild cattle for sale or for meat, they, they prospered. So it became an important industry and continues to today. Today we have about 930,000 mama cows. Florida is known as a cow-calf state. We call them mama cows or mother cows. But these cows bred every year to produce calves. The calves at weaning time go to be grazed in, sometimes in other states and then they go to the feedlots in the western states to be finished into beef. And that's what Florida's known for, is, is raising these calves that became, they're the, they're the building blocks for the, 
the overall U.S. cattle industry. Florida having about 930,000 cows makes us about 14th to 15th in total cow numbers across the United States. But uh, an important factor of that is that the largest cow-calf operation, if, see there's other states count our calves as well as their calves. When we send them over there, then that's, okay, that's, that's Oklahoma's numbers, that's Texas numbers. But Florida's strength is, is the brood cow industry, the mama cow industry, and five of the 25 largest ranchers, ranchers, cow-calf operation in the United States, five of those are in Florida. The largest, single largest mama cow operation in the United States is Deseret Ranch in Florida with 42,000 mama cows. When you consider the national average of cow herd size is about 30, 29 or 30, 42,000 is incrementally a lot bigger than 30. Improving breeds is really important, but once you put all the ingredients in the cake batter, it's hard to get it back out. So in order to make sure that the breeds are preserved, Florida is doing quite a bit to help save their history. In 1965, Commissioner of Agriculture Doyle Connor spoke to the Cattlemen's Convention, and he said they were talking about the new forages and new breeds of cattle and doing all the things they were doing to improve Florida's cattle industry. He said, but let's don't breed away our great-granddaddies or granddaddies' old cattle. Let's keep these Florida cracker cattle some going. Some of these families had them, so he employed them to do something to not breed their cattle out of existence. So in 1970, when the state took over this piece of land that we're on now for an agricultural laboratory complex, there was about 100 acres here. They dedicated 80 acres. They needed 20 for the, lap, the buildings. They said, we got eight acres left. So the cattle industry gave the Department of Agriculture four heifers and a bull calf from the Jim Durrance family in Okeechobee County. They sent four heifers and a bull to this place in Tallahassee. They also, as those calves were born, new calves were born by those heifers and that bull, they sent some to Withlacoochee State Forest. They got some other, to get the genetic base broad enough, they started trading cattle with other uh, families of Durrance cattle. These are straight Durrance cattle for the most part, so they started trading with other families that had a few of these cattle, so they broadened the genetic base as wide as we could. So that was started in 1970. The horses came here in 1985 when State Representative John Law Ayers saw what was going on with the cattle preservation. He said, I wish y'all would take some of my family's cracker horses here, bring them here, do the same thing with the cracker horses. So he put three, three mares at Tallahassee, three mares at Withlacoochee with a stud at each place. So that started the department in preserving the heirs' bloodline of the cracker horses as well. Stephen Monroe is not only a historian, not only a cattleman, but he's known as the cowboy poet. So in describing a story about one of the figures in the Florida cattleman history, we uh, are going to leave you with a poem from Stephen Monroe, the cowboy poet. Like most any industry, the Florida cracker cattle or cattle industry had... had uh, a folk hero, probably a lot of them, but a school teacher recorded a story of William Bonaparte Mizell, who was absolutely the most written about uh, Florida cowman in the late 1800s when the newspapers came around and discovered Florida 
cow culture. They wanted to write something down, and they wrote about old William Bone, uh, Bonaparte Mizell. They just called him nicknamed Bone Mizell. He's quite a character. And the school teacher recorded the ballad that included a segment where a friend of Bone Mizell's came down to Florida. He was a northern guy from an affluent family that came down and wound up dying on Barnes Ranch. So she wrote this down. In Kissimmee they tell of old Bone Mizell and the stranger who died in his lands, how he died in dry season, and that was the reason he was buried a while on Bone's land. He was buried a while beneath the pine and palm aisle in a swamp under Florida sun by this cracker who loved him, who nursed him and cursed him before his demise had begun. Just take the news calmly, Bone wrote to the family. The deceased had living up north. I can ship his remains when the season bring rain and us Pine Island folks can travel forth. So provided you ask it, I'll exhume that casket. And that's what Bone did when the season brought rain and the river would float an old flat bottom boat and the dead corpse could travel again. Some say that Bone smiled much too often while moving that coffin en route to the train car. At Kissimmee, he said, give me one first class ticket, the best you got, one way, from Kissimmee to Vermont. Ain't this corpse going far? So a friend asked Bone the next day, so you shipped that lad home? Bone said, well, not exactly by gum, because I thought it over this way. Instead of that yank with his prestige and rank that had been around and had lots of fun, I dug up Bill Red and shipped him instead, because old Bill never got to travel none. <laughs> We want to thank Stephen Monroe of the Florida Department of Agriculture for having us out today. For more information about Stephen and the Florida Cracker Cattle Program, please visit their website at freshfromflorida.com. Also, please visit the Florida Cracker Cattle Association website at floridacrackercattle.org. Please join us next week when we visit with Isabella Rossellini, model, actress, and behavioral scientist at her farm in Long Island, New York. You have been listening to Agriculture with your host, Alara Bowman. Please tune in for more upcoming episodes from our travels. We'd also like to thank our producer, Michelle Council. I'm Rick Bowman, your behind-the-scenes editor. Until next time. This has been a presentation of Backyard Green Films Productions, all rights reserved, copyright 2019.